We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the uh, Hoosier Huddle podcast. Today we are previewing the, uh, the season opener at FIU. Uh, so it's IU, FIU. It'll kick off on Thursday, September 1st at uh, 7.30 p.m. The game uh, is on ESPNU, so check your local listings. Um, I have the DVR set so I can come home and watch it afterwards uh, after being down there. Um, we welcome in our co-host, uh, TJ Inman. How are you, TJ? Uh, there can be no other answer than great because it is game week, college football uh, pretty much back. I, I'm not ashamed to admit I watched the uh, Cal-Hawaii game on Saturday morning, and uh, I, you know, was it a good game? Well, no, no, it was not, but it was college football, and I will not complain about that because that's better than 99% of anything else you could be doing at that time. Afternoon with 91 Yeah, that Cal Hawaii game uh, unofficially kicked off the season. Um, we're having some technical difficulties uh, here, um, so we'll get TJ back on the phone. Uh, maybe some uh, internet issues, and, uh, and and we'll see what's going on. But uh, season opener, FIU. And uh, and we'll see what's going on. Uh, we'll get TJ back here in a second. TJ, uh, welcome back. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Yeah. It would have been uh, quite a shame to get through all the off season and then get booted off and have some technical problems right before the season begins. But uh, yes, I'm back. Yeah. Uh, some internet issues, but we're back. Uh, TJ. Uh, Season starts Thursday. Uh, Indiana's finally yep. named a, a starter in Richard Legault. It's something that we have uh, alluded to uh, basically since he arrived on campus, uh, but it's now <laughs> officially official, um, and, and I think that was a smart thing to do is name a starting quarterback uh, before, uh, you know, heading into the season he, so as to not repeat um, the mess of, of 2013 when – you know, Wilson rotated through quarterbacks, and, and it, it really might have cost them a, a bowl game or so uh, early on in the season with with losses to Missouri and, and Navy, and then really 2014 when two of the guys transferred uh, and all – and uh, Hoosier fans uh, know the rest. Uh, but I, I think that uh, having a starting quarterback named before the opener is a smart deal. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. Um, important to remember, this is not just about 
you know, a ceremonial thing or a, a leadership thing or um, maybe a confidence thing, giving Lego confidence, just letting him publicly know. You know, it, that those things do matter, but I think the biggest thing is the number of reps that guys are getting in practice. If you're splitting up the reps, you're taking away experience from and, you know, learning from uh, from Richard Legault or whoever you were going to name the starter. Um, and that at this point in time, especially with Legault, he needs to get that time in there, needs to get those reps in there to develop timing with his wide receivers, uh, to develop a better command of the offense. And the best way to do that is by actually, you know, getting the, the practice experience, getting those reps, and then, of course, getting the game experience is going to be the ultimate uh, ultimate learning thing. But, um, you know, if you're splitting time up, you're, you know, you're kind of taking away the uh, overall learning that Lego would be able to do. So, I, you know, according to Kevin Wilson, since about the seventh practice, Lego's been the guy. Uh, we knew he was getting the most reps in practice. Um, it's pretty clear that Indiana coaches have known this. Um, I mean, make no mistake, it was definitely a competition. And I think coming out of the spring, a lot of people, including us, were surprised by, number one, how much better uh, Xander Diamant had gotten, and number two, that there was really no gap between those guys. But in that time, uh, got underway and really got going. Uh, Richard Vigo asserted himself as not only the, the most talented of the group, uh, the most ready of the group, but he learned more of the offense, learned more of the playbook, got a better command of it, and I think really established a, a good relationship and leadership role with his teammates. Now, that's, that's kind of what we've heard and what some of his teammates have said, that uh, he's improved in that aspect quite a bit since he got there. And the some of the players have said it's, you know, night and day from when he first arrived on campus. So the ceiling's high with, with Legault, and I'm really excited to see how he responds. As Kevin Wilson said, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when things don't go well. And that's there's going to be some of that on Thursday night. It's not going to be perfect. So what happens to the whole team and to Legault in particular, maybe when they hit a little bit of a rough pass, how do they respond to it? Do they hit but one bad play, turn into three or four bad plays? Or do they just let that one bad play stay there, forget it, and do better the next time? And that's something we're going to definitely watch him for on Thursday as the Richard Legault era begins. Yeah, and, you know, it's going to be difficult. It might be windy. I know there's a couple tropical storms yeah. swirling around in the Atlantic and and the and the Gulf. But it looks like the, the one that might have the most impact is, is going to go north, probably north of Tampa, and miss um, South Florida, which is good news for everybody, uh, especially those fans who are traveling, media members who are traveling uh, down yep. tomorrow and, and Thursday. But I, I I would think that there's still going to be a rain shower. It's still, you know, every time you have one of these storms, the back end of it is really windy. Um, so you might have throws that sail on you. You might have you know, throws that flutter and get intercepted, and, and you're right. It's how is he going to react to um, adversity and, and to making a bad play? And I think that's where having a starter named where he's not going to be looking over his shoulder um, to right. where, like, Nate and Trey were looking over their shoulder if they threw a pick. 
or, or fumbled or something where, oh, he's going to take me out and put another guy in. Um, it's Richard Legault's job. Um, you know, they, they said Xander would be used in situations. I think, you know, and, and many people ask me this, how are they going to use Xander now? I think it's going to be like, um, you know, the perfect example is that 2013 game against Penn State where uh, Nate Sudfeld played the majority of the game, started, played in all the situations, but then when they got into the red zone, they stuck Trey in there, um, ran a, a couple read options. Um, I, I forgot if he threw a touchdown. I don't think he did, but, um, you know, you, you could use Xander that way as well uh, just to improve upon the, the red zone um, numbers, uh, which would be something that, that we have to look for in this game as well. Uh, but, TJ, let's yep. let's go over our, our FIU overview. Uh, it's a team that, that we've, over the last you know year or so, have become familiar with. Uh, IU played them last year, beat them 36-22, but that game, man, was, four, uh, you know, four yards from being a tie game uh, before a, a 96-yard uh, pick six uh, sealed it uh, for an IU win. Uh, a lot of guys on this I, uh, FIU offense are back, um, starting with Alex Magoo, uh, their quarterback, who's now a junior. He set all kinds of records last year uh, for FIU. He's a very accurate passer. He completed 64% of his passes last year through first, I think over 2,400 yards, uh, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Um, he's a guy who could pick, could pick apart this defense if, um, if IU doesn't pressure him or uh, stop the run. It, it's a very dangerous FIU offense. They have a returning receiver Thomas Owens, um, who put up 166 yards against IU last year. Alex Gardner, who for the most part was shut down against uh, IU last year, is back um, looking to, to do better. Uh, and, and Johnny Smith, who's an all-conference USA uh, tight end, is there too, who could give IU fits. So there are some weapons on this offense. It's not a – it could be a high-powered offense, but it's not an up-tempo offense where they're going to – run 80, 90 plays a game. This is a, a team that likes to slow it down uh, a little bit, go to tight ends at times, um, maybe use a fullback. But, you know, they, they ran 68 plays a game last year. Uh, so they'll try and keep the ball out of, out of IU's offensive hands, um, I, I think, early on, and, and try and establish the run, hit some short throws, and, and get on the board first. Um, and, and that way give them – a little bit of room to, to run the ball, chew some clock up, and, and really limit the possessions. Yeah, I, you know, ball control is going to be a very important thing for FIU and really for any team that's um, almost any team that's going up against Indiana. Uh, I, what's really interesting about FIU, they do return nine darters, and the offense was um, just about as good as they've had in their short history as a football program. But while Magoo was very efficient, 64% of his passes, a lot of those were dink and dunk because they were unable to generate really an effective running game. Um, you know, the guys that, that got the ball consistently, Alex Gardner being the main one, they were really unable to uh, generate anything above. I think his yards per carry was 4.1, which is okay. Um, but, you know, for your feature back, you'd like to see a little bit more um, 
and what they lacked was explosive plays. They just they were unable to really generate a lot of big plays. So you have to when you're that kind of offense, you really can't afford to make mistakes. You know, you can't afford a penalty. You can't afford uh, you know a drop pass or a, a you know a loss on a play, taking a sack or even just having a, a negative running play because they just weren't there. Um, yeah, and that, that was something in the game last IU. year too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Thomas was Owens the, had yeah. had a couple, but outside of him, there weren't all that many big play threats on this offense. Yeah, and IU turned in uh, three turnovers for twenty points last year, uh, so yeah. it, it's it's definitely something you got to watch if if uh, if uh, Lego is is you know consistent hitting his passes and not turning the ball over, uh, it, it becomes that much more difficult for FIU if this uh if this defense is uh getting some takeaways and and turning those into points like they did uh last year um is there anything that IU fans should keep an eye out on on this FIU defense outside of those guys it's to me it's those four um and and one of i think you know uh we have our matchup to watch uh out we put it out uh, earlier this afternoon um, you know, is the FIU offensive line and the IU defensive line. Uh, it's, as Alex says in the piece, it, it, games usually are won in the trenches. You know, the skill positions might be even. IU probably has a slight edge just because they have deeper, they're deeper. But FIU does have some talent at the skill positions. But it's going to come down to who wins the battle in the trenches. And IU's... Uh, defensive line without Robert McCray is very thin. Um, there, you know, there's not a lot of. Um, I, I don't want to say optimism, but there's not a lot of. You know, you don't know what you you have right now on the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, with yeah, there's a lot of unknowns uh, going in, and you know, you have Ralph Green, uh, you have Nate Hoff, uh, but they're coming off of seasons where they didn't really play that well. Um, and you have to see how they improve. And if you let Magoo sit back there, you know, for four or five seconds, he's going to pick apart this defense. Um, and then you're going to have to start sending pressure from, you know, either a, a linebacker or a Hus- or the Husky, uh, and it's going to make it that much more difficult on the IU secondary um, to, to cover these receivers, to cover Thomas Owens, to, to get a hand in the face of John o. Smith, um, and and cover uh, Alex Gardner out of the backfield. But if the, the FIU offensive line, it's, it's a veteran line, but who knows? They're not all that good. It's a Conference USA line. They should be able to match up well against, you know, these are two of the, let's say, weak, weaker parts of the game going at each other, and, and IU needs to win that battle and show that this defensive line has some talent that's ready to make the next step. Yeah, you asked if there was any name to keep an eye on besides those four on this offense. Uh, there is one for me. It's uh, sophomore running back Anthony Jones. He was a freshman last year that ran for uh, an average of 5.1 yards carry. What stands out to him was he didn't get the ball a lot, but of their running options, he was definitely the most explosive. So I wonder if he's going to be in for a – little bit more of a role in, in 2016 and maybe see some more carries here in this game uh, than he did last season. Uh, not a not a great 
running back. I mean, he's a former, I think he's a high two-star recruiter and he, uh, when he came out. But, uh, I, you know, he has, his staff shows some explosiveness that they don't have with their other running options. And we know that Indiana is susceptible or has been in the past to, you know, broken plays that result in big runs. So we'll see if Anthony Jones gets it. But outside of that, now it's really uh, you're not worried about any receiving options outside of uh, Owens and Smith. And you're not really all that worried about any of the running options, to be honest, as long as you don't just completely lose the battle up front. I, you know, like you said, this is a line that returns four starters. Uh, they lost their left guard, so everybody else is back. Uh, the center was second team all-conference USA, but, I, I mean, I think that Indiana's defensive line, if if they are to outperform expectations uh, for this season, then, you know, having a pretty good night on Thursday would, would be a good start for that. You know, if they can't generate any kind of pressure or penetration against this line, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty pretty bad sign uh, for that unit moving forward. So hopefully they're able to get something going. Uh, along that line, Kevin Wilson mentioned in his radio show that a freshman that we've talked about, um, Alan Stallings, is – likely to play on Thursday. Uh, he's one of the freshmen that he pointed out as a guy that will probably see the field. And uh, Wilson mentioned he's one of their better pass rushers right now. So uh, that's good to hear, I think. Or the pessimist could say, wow, you know, this rather unheralded freshman, uh, which there are reasons for that, but this rather unheralded freshman is already one of the better pass rushers. That's a bad sign. I'm choosing to take the optimistic route and say that he's outperforming his recruiting ranking and uh, his natural gifts are starting to develop and that uh, he can make a difference as a kind of a pass rush specialist for this defense and that's something they desperately need. So pass rush will be important to get pressure on Magoo and prevent him from just kind of picking his way down the field with seven and eight yard completions. Yeah, and uh, you're exactly right on Alan Stallings. He's a guy who gives them something that they don't have is that pass rush specialist. He's quick enough. Uh, he was an all-state, um, you know, nationally rated uh, wrestler uh, in, yep. in Illinois. Um, and, and that, you know, a lot of that translates to being a defense and using your hands to get by offensive linemen, uh, right. shedding blocks, all that stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know what his weight was, but, you know, it, it should give them a little bit more speed off the edge, create some havoc in there, and, and really give them, and, you know, another dimension that they didn't have, um, you know, we thought coming into the season uh, without him is that they don't have a Nick Manjuri or Zach Shaw coming off the edge uh, with some decent speed. And now we'll see what Alan Stallings can do. Um, yeah, you hope and Brandon Wilson, uh, yes, kind of and and uh, um, Amari Stringer, uh, those three I think are who you're looking at as kind. I mean Stallings and Stringer as kind of purely pass rush speed demon guys. Uh, Brandon Wilson a little bit more of a traditional 
defensive end look to him, to his body. But, I mean, if you look at Alan Stallings' body, it's, it's a body type that Indiana does not really have outside of him on that defensive line. Uh, kind of a longer, leaner uh, look, and that's not to say he's thin. I mean, he's a big, big guy that's ripped, um, no doubt about that. But I think he's a little bit longer and leaner than, than what they have at their other defensive line options. So that'll be interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how they use Jacob Robinson, uh, how often he plays outside, how often he plays inside. He's a guy they're going to move all over the on that line. So that would be interesting. And then uh, Greg Gooch and Niall Sykes as well. Uh, Gooch was the defensive representative at Kevin Wilson's radio show last night. I don't know what that means. Probably not much, but I think it's – I think know, they, they they're picked not going to bring him from, if they're not happy with him. You know, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think okay. that the well, guests were, you know, bring, it's a homecoming for, for a lot Jones, of guys. Yeah on IU for 12. Ricky Jones and, and all of them. So I, I think that's why they were on there. But don't forget about Niall okay. Sykes. Um, Niall Sykes and um, the other linebacker uh, who's coming over. Um, Gooch. I think you mentioned Gooch uh, coming off that edge as well. It's now You're yeah. going to see a lot of, you know, there, there's depth. They have some players, but you're going to see a lot of situational uh, stuff, especially against the FIU team, it doesn't go up tempo, and IU can substitute. So if they're running the ball, you might see Jacob Robinson at end uh, more. If they're passing the ball, you might see uh, Stallings and, and Niall Sykes come off the edge uh, and things like that. So it, it's going to be different in terms of you're used to seeing last year, it was Latham, Mangiri, uh you had um, Shaw at the Bandit, and, you know, a combination of Green, uh, Rayner, McCray is on the inside. Now you're going to see a whole different lineup, and I think a lot more substitutions, especially in week one. It, it is going to be super hot, um, hot down there. I think uh, the daytime temperature is in the high 90s. Nighttime temperature doesn't get much cooler. It's supposed to be, you know, with the heat index in the high 80s. Um, so you're going to see a lot of guys uh, run in and in and out uh, that you normally don't didn't see last year, um, and that TJ brings me to to my next point is is the travel squad. Are you I, I believe you're only traveling with 53 or or so guys. It, it, you don't really have the whole whole team down there. So you know depth could be an issue. Um, you know how many quarterbacks are they going to travel with? How many um, you know, wide receivers are they going to travel with? How many running backs? Do you leave a running back at home and take an extra defense or offense alignment? Uh, so it's things like that 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 make me think um, a little bit more deeper on the game uh, and really things that, that, you know, hopefully fans take into consideration as well um, when looking at the game. Yeah, I, how they put together the travel roster is, is certainly going to be pretty interesting. I would, uh, you would lean towards more linemen, specifically defensive linemen. Um, but I, I don't, if, well, I think that if there's a skill position player that you feel confident in the game plan that this guy specifically can help us and do something that's, 
maybe, you know, another guy cannot do um, in our skill position groups, then, then you take that guy over, say, a, you know, a ninth defensive lineman or a tenth, whatever, defensive lineman. Um, but I think if all things are equal position-wise, uh, you'll, you'll lean towards another defensive lineman um, on the travel squad. But, yeah, it's something that um, – yeah, and there's a lot of things that are going to play into that too is are you going to take somebody that's, you know, 85% healthy that, you know, you'd play for part of the game if it's a home game? Uh, are you going to take him and just know that he's got a limited snap count? I, I don't know. I mean, it probably depends on the player. So um, that's going to be pretty interesting. And Jamie Thompson might be a guy that, that plays into or that fits that scenario. Maybe if it's a home game, yep. Jamie Thompson plays limited snaps. But since it's a road game and you know he's on a kind of a snap count, uh, just with fitness and coming back from his turf toe, maybe you don't. Uh, Maybe you don't take him for this one. We'll see. Yeah. TJ, let's get down into keys of the game. We we alluded to it earlier, um, some of our keys. We'll we'll go through a couple of them. I'll, I'll start first. I think, um, and we'll have uh, a piece coming out later uh, tomorrow uh, from Lydia, uh, who will go over her keys to the game. But I, I think our my biggest key to the game is uh, red zone efficiency. Um, and getting and not leaving points on the field, uh, it was something that that really hurt the Hoosiers last year. They weren't very efficient down there. You saw it against, you know, it reared its head against Ohio State, um, Michigan, and Iowa, where they would they would put together a good drive, get bogged down inside the twenty, and um, you know, and kick a field goal with Griffin Oaks. And, and as good as Griffin Oaks is. Uh, you know, maybe that's a safety net that really, you know, you wish you didn't have. Uh, and maybe you take a, a few more chances in the red zone. Um, and, and I love having Griffin Oaks because he's between 30 and 40 yards out. Maybe you turn that where you punt into three points. Uh, but they, they left a lot of points on the field last year. And this is a, a team, uh, and we said it earlier, you're going to have limited possessions. This is not, you know, it's not going to be a game like Bowling Green where each team's going to run 100, you know, 90 to 100 plays and, and go super fast. Um, it, it's going to be more like playing a Navy where they run the ball, grind the clock down, and, and you might only have 10 or 12 possessions a game uh, where, you know, you need those points. And if you start settling for field goals and field goals, you know, uh, touchdowns worth two of them. Um, so, We'll we'll see what they do there. I think you know now with Ian Thomas and and some of these tight ends they have, uh, who are a little bit more athletic, um, especially with Jordan Fuchs there as well, um, that they can you know play a little bit better in the red zone, throw the ball up to a taller receiver, and maybe even have Tyler uh, Nate and um, and Xander Diamant down there running. Uh, running a, a zone read option type of play, or um, or having Nady as, as a fullback, you know, blowing up holes and, and going two or three tight ends. Uh, but to me, that that was you know the Achilles' heel of this offense last year was short yardage and red zone. And I think this year they might be better suited for it. And you know, it, it's no disrespect to Griffin Oaks; he's the best kicker in the Big Ten, and 
he gives them a safety net, which is nice, but you need touchdowns. And I'd rather see him kicking extra points and then lining up for a 35-yard field goal. Yeah, the uh, the red zone offense is something that I, I looked at throughout the off season. Um, I've got some numbers in my game week primer. Uh, Indiana had 61 red zone attempts last year. They had uh, 21 rushing touchdowns in those instances, 15 passing touchdowns. That's a total of 36 touchdowns in 61 trips. That's not terrible. Um, you know, and they converted enough field goals that they were actually 24th in the country in quote-unquote red zone offense. But I think that um, coaches, the IU coaches would agree that, you know, getting field goals instead of touchdowns is definitely not the worst thing in the world, but you end up feeling like you you left four points on the board. Um, and I, I think that 24th in, in red zone offense is something that, it's a a bit of a skewed statistic because those field goals do count as scores in the NCAA's official, you know, red zone scoring tally. So you're looking to turn some of those field goals into – you're not going to score every time in the red zone. You're not going to score touchdowns every time. We get that. But I do think that there's a lot of room for improvement there. So when you're looking at – well, how can the offense improve on what they did last year? And there's the number one answer right there. You take those 25 uh, trips in the red zone that resulted in something other than a touchdown, turn those into, like, I don't know, uh, 15, 15 trips inside the red zone that results in something other than a touchdown, still convert those field goals, but instead of 25 trips inside of it, you got 15 inside of it that are not resulting in touchdowns. And I think you've improved your, your scoring per game by rough math off the top of my head, probably four or five points a game uh, right there. So I, I think that that would, I mean, it, it's hard to nitpick the offense. It really is because it's, it's so good and it's so much fun to watch, but, you know, you mentioned the ways you could uh, you could do it. You see some triple option or zone read type stuff with Diamonds or Nate. Um You see some. I would love to see Simi Cobbs become more involved in the red zone offense. Uh, I know that it's it's difficult to, it's not as easy as as it you know it, it sounds when you say, well, you know, he's just have him run that ten to fifteen yard out route. I let him go get it. I know that it's not that easy. But it's something we rarely saw even tried last year, and I feel like Simi Cobbs has such a physical advantage over a lot of corners that I'd, I'd like to see something like that, uh, more of that than than those the fade routes that just too often don't work. I don't feel like that's an efficient use of a, a down in the red zone. Uh, Nick Westbrook is another guy that, that could be used there, or Jordan Fuchs or Ian Thomas you know, big targets that in theory make for, for good red zone targets, but it just, it doesn't always, doesn't always work out like you think it will on paper. But I, I do think that they should be a little bit more creative, a little bit more aggressive in the red zone. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, that you have a reliable kicker, but that doesn't mean it's, I don't think they're settling necessarily, but uh, on purpose, but it, it, I would like to see a bit more aggressiveness and creativity down in the red zone if your traditional offense is not getting it done, uh, which it, it didn't 
quite enough time this last season. So it's definitely something to watch. And, and FIU uh, was pretty good um, the past two seasons. They've been inside the top 20 nationally in red zone defense. So it'll it'll be a good first test to see uh, to see how Indiana's red zone offense fares against a good red zone defense to start out the season. Yeah, and, and with those big wide receivers, you know, FIU doesn't, you know, you're not going to have three or four corners or safeties who are six one, six two can match up with them. So if you run out Nick Westbrook, Simi Cobbs, Jordan Fuchs, and Ian Thomas and, and want to go four wide and spread them out, those are four, you know, that's a matchup problem for FIU. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that it just bugs me because, those games are winnable, but they you leave too many points on the field, um, and you're you're putting the game into the hands of of a kicker who, who's very very good, but who knows it, it could be 30, 40 mile an hour winds down there next on on Thursday, and, and who yeah. knows it, you know just score a touchdown, um, and, and you know that's easier like you said it's easier said, said than done. Uh, but that that's got to be the number one priority is to get seven. Um, and you know, I, I, don't complain with three points that much because you get on the board, um, you yeah. know, especially early on in the game. You get on the board, you, you get things going, you feel good, you get something to show for your drive. But later in the game, um, I don't like going for it on fourth down on on um, in, in the red zone. Uh, but right. You know, let's you have three downs. Draw something up. You've had you have all these players who can play all over the field. Um, it, it's time to time to draw something up and, and and improve upon that number and become one of the elite offenses, um, even more elite. I know leading the Big Ten last year. Um, you know, you, you could debate whether or not it was an elite offense, but you start talking about averaging 40 some odd points a game. Now you're an elite offense. You're up there with, with Baylor and, and TCU, Oregon, all those teams um, who, you know, you, you think of when you think of elite offenses, but uh, TJ, what, what is your key to the game? Purdue actually had great red zone numbers last year, TJ. They were, I think, exactly. they, even though they might've had eight, eight times in the red zone, they were like seven for eight. So. Um, yeah, they were yeah, one no, of the I'm top just, teams in the Big Ten in red zone offenses. Uh, right, but I'm yeah, pointing out the inexact science. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm yeah. pointing out the inexact science that is red zone scoring. But I think just the eye test, we know there were too many scenarios where Indiana just – I won't say bad play calling because I don't think that it was. I just think it was a little bit uh, – just a little bit uncreative. Um down in the red zone, and I, I feel like, especially against FIU, which is starting three new defensive linemen, their top three defensive linemen from last year are gone. They're in a very similar state to Indiana, uh, in which, and I, I Crane and Nate Hoff that have proven before, although not last year, but they have proven before that they're capable of having really good seasons. FIU doesn't even have that, so they are a very inexperienced offense or defensive line. Indiana. You know, we think that it's, that's the strength of the program, and, you know, awards and accolades would seem to back that up. Plus, you've got a number of big running back options. If, if you're in, you know, short yarded situation or a, a goal line situation, I don't 
in that case, I don't feel like there's a lot of need for creativity. I feel like you say, okay, this is the strength of our team. We're just going to shove it down your throat and get a touchdown. Um, exactly. And I'd like to see that, that mentality come, come to the forefront uh, if needed. You know, plus, I mean, your quarterback is, you know, he's the big boy. He's plus 230 pounds and uh, six, what is he, six, six? Is that right? Yeah, six, six. 240, um, and, and you yeah. saw Sudfeld, I believe, scored two rushing touchdowns against yeah. FIU last yeah. year, one of them on the read option, one of them as a sneak, and he, he's similar size um, and, and that. So, you know what? You have one of the best offensive lines in the Big Ten, and you're playing FIU. you got to buckle the chin strap and, and, and go, and, and if you need an extra blocker, you throw uh, an 80 in there or – um, you Kronk. put one of your bigger tight ends, you put Coy Cronk, you put um, Brandon Knight, you know, you might move yep. Brandon Knight at the tight end, put Cronk at, at tackle and, and let him go. Uh, and, yeah. and give the ball to, to Redding or, or, or Nady or Cole Guest or somebody. Just, you know, that's the type. Indiana's offensive line is that much better than FIU's defensive line. And it should be no problem for them to get a yard when they need one. Um, so right. that's that. Um, so going on, uh, our next key to the game, I, I believe, is, is consistency and, and finishing. Um, it's something that, that Lydia will expand upon uh, later as well. Uh, but, TJ, we saw it last year again where this team would have – it was so inconsistent even from quarter to quarter – um, in particular in the second half, where they would have a great third quarter, and then the fourth quarter they would fall off and, you know, either not score or let up a, a couple big plays and and lose the game there. Um, and same in, in the second quarter and in, in the first half, too. And, you know, the microcosm is Rutgers. IU dominated Rutgers in the first quarter. They went into halftime trailing. They dominated Rutgers in the third quarter and they lost the game. Um, so putting together four full quarters is going to be very, very important. You're playing on the road against a team who's got to be itching to get back on the field with IU. This team was four yards away from winning the game last – or from tying the game, having a shot to win late in the fourth quarter. They led at halftime. Um, and, and these guys, especially the guys returning, want this one back. Um, so – you know, don't give them a chance to have that. Don't, you know, if IU gets up, you know, 17 nothing or 17-3 or gets out to a couple score lead, don't let off the, off the gas. Keep getting those tack-on points. Um, and, you know, put this team away. Take any will that they have uh, left and, and crush it. Because if you give them any sliver of hope of pulling an upset, um, I, I gather, I don't know what the crowd is going to be like. I've heard mixed things about FIU fans in terms of, of showing up to games, but, you know, fans who, who, who are there are, are going to be into it, um, you know, and, and if they have a shot at an upset of beating a Big Ten team at home, it, they'll, they'll take it and, and they'll run away with it. So, you know, finishing games, adding tack on points, and, and really, you know, imposing your will upon uh, – what should be an inferior team um, is is key. Uh, that 
that Rutgers game, I I don't know what you speak of. I have successfully wiped that from my memory, so I'm not entirely sure what you're talking about. Uh, I don't remember yeah, any IU blown leads. It, it never happens. IU never blows leads, and we always finish. So never a problem. Trust me. Yeah, it's like 2004 with the Yankees with me. Just yeah, I, I don't remember. Um, but anyway, it, it's it's those types right, of things right. where where IU you go back against Michigan. IU had a lead driving. Yep. Just yep. Add the next point, the bowl game, um, and and the bowl game turned on it. You saw the the wide receiver pass to Simi Cobbs, which he dropped in the end zone. He catches that pass. It's an 11 point game. Um, over. In, instead of a seven-point game, there's no overtime, and and you go home as winners. There's no no T-shirt saying the kick was good. Uh, you don't have to, you know, rely on on your kicker who had, who had missed the kick earlier uh, to to send it to a second overtime or to try and win the game. It's you know you get those points. There's mentally there's a big difference between a two-score game and a one-score game, and you yep. go back to to Duke and they IU made it extended it to a seven point lead and the ensuing kickoff gets returned for a touchdown and it's a tie game. Um, so yep. get, getting getting that you know extending a seven point lead to a ten point lead, extending that ten point lead to 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 seventeen point lead, just making it a, a two or three three possession game makes it that much easier on the defense on the offense and, and really now starts to bleed time from that clock. And you're asking FIU to do something that they're not used to. You're asking them to play more up tempo. You're asking them to get, you know, bigger, you know, longer plays uh, and stuff like that. So they're going to be playing out of their element. If you, if you extend the lead uh, like that. So any other keys to the game, TJ? No, I think that we've, I mean, the, the the overarching one is, you know, the kind of the newness surrounding uh, surrounding the program, a new defensive coordinator with a new scheme, uh, a new quarterback making his first FBS start. Uh, I mean, how do the players turn the success, specifically the defensive players, how did those defensive players turn the success that they had during the off season, turn this positive momentum and energy that they have right now, how do they turn that into success on the field? Um, you know, I heard Don Fisher on, uh, I think it was the Dan Dockett show yesterday, uh, talk about, you know, what happens when something bad happens to the defense? What happens when they give up a big, long touchdown pass or a long touchdown run, maybe early in a game, just that feeling of here we go again, that we all know. We all know that feeling. Does that creep in right away? Or do they bounce back and, you know, make a stop on the next series and not let it happen again? Um, that doesn't mean you just completely forget about that play. It means you learn from it and prevent it from happening again. So which which response is there going to be? Uh, and for Lego, if you throw an interception or have a bad pass, you know, you mentioned not looking over your shoulder. Kevin Wilson talked about this uh, at his press conference, his last one before heading out there to Florida. Uh, 
you know, he mentioned he grew up in North Carolina, and he mentioned Dean Smith would never take someone out after a turnover. Quite different than what we grew up with uh, watching Bob Knight, who would uh, routinely, you know, somebody would make a mistake and their 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 butt would be on the bench before they could even get down to the other end. But uh, Dean Smith would not take a guy out after a turnover, and he mentioned wanting to have that philosophy with his quarterback as well. So if Richard Vago makes a mistake, is he able to bounce back from her right away? How does he deal with the adversity? Or how does he deal with the success? How does the defense deal with success? It's something that uh, the defense has not had to do a lot of, is, is what happens if they string together three or four stops in a row do they get complacent and say, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, Tom Allen's come here and fixed it all, we're good now. I, I don't think that's going to be the response, but that I'm just – I'm very interested to see the response of, of all of that, uh, both of Lego and of uh, of the defensive players. I'm really interested to see how um, just how the new scheme looks, you know, seeing that, that fifth defensive back out there. How's that look? Seeing four defensive linemen again, how's that look? Uh, the two linebackers, Scales and Oliver, really having freedom in the middle of the defense to roam around and make plays. What's that look like? So it's there's just a lot of newness around that uh, I'm anxious to see on the field. Plus, you know, the new players. Lego, we're getting to see him for the first time. We're getting to see uh, some of the defensive guys that he mentioned. Uh, Khalil Bryant at safety and special teams. Um, let's see, Marcelino Ball at Husky. Alan Stallings at defensive end. And he specifically mentioned uh, Koi Kronk, which is interesting. Um and still not sure exactly how he's going to be used, but, um, you know, a, a stud offensive lineman that I, I think that there are incredibly high hopes for him. And then Cole Guest has worked his way into the running back rotation. So seeing those guys on the field as well. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a new season and there's always excitement surrounding it, but I, I do feel like there's a good mix of newness mixed with, returning production that, you know, familiar faces you're looking forward to seeing again that uh, has me especially excited. Plus, you know, bowl games is not something that IU has a chance to do very often. It hasn't happened since 1991, and I'm I'm excited to have that happen again. I mean, I was, you know, four years old when it last occurred. I'll be honest, I don't remember it. So I, I'm anxious to to get back on the quest to return to a bowl game. It was so much fun being able to kind of – scout out, okay, what bowl game are we going to land in? Like, what? who's the opponent going to be? And then scout a new opponent and be able to watch IU around Christmas time. That was a lot of fun. I'm hoping to get back to that. It all starts Thursday night. Yeah, it does. And, and you're right in that this is now what's expected is a bowl game, is, you know, a bucket win, um, beating a couple Big Ten teams. You know, maybe now, you know, getting the spittoon back from Michigan state competing with these, you know, the, the upper echelon of the big 10 and, and maybe knocking one or two of them off. Um, it, it's, it's going to be a fun season. Uh, and you're right. It, it starts Thursday night uh, at seven thirty, ESPNU. Um, you know, if you're an IU fan going to the, going to the game, reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to, to meet you down there. Um, talk some football. If you're not going, watch it on uh, you know watch it on TV. Hit us up on on Twitter as well. Uh, let us know what you think. Um, TJ, what is your prediction for Thursday? Oh boy, um, 
I I am nervous about this one. I'm nervous about pretty much every game, though. So being a fan, I guess, and, and contemplating both the best and the worst at the same time. So if uh, you know, I've after analyzing it, I, I I do feel good about Indiana coming out with the win. Um, I do think the defense is going to have uh, a pretty good night. I think the running game is going to have a really good night. Um, I don't think they're going to ask Richard Legault to do a whole bunch. I think they're just going to ask him to be efficient, take care of the ball, and make good decisions. Um, of course, he's going to have to make some throws as well. That's what quarterbacks have to do. But I don't think they're going to put the game on his shoulders. Um, so I, I'm going to predict a really good night for the running game specifically. Uh, I think Divine Redding has a good day, and I think Mike Winjet has a really good day. Uh, Indiana wins, I will say, 34-21 with a late touchdown for Indiana kind of separating. So similar to last season's game, uh, I think a little bit cleaner. Indiana had 110 yards in penalties last year. I don't expect that to repeat itself. I think that number will be closer to 50 or 60 yards in penalties. Uh, I think Indiana will force a couple turnovers, score a late touchdown to win at 34-21. All right. I believe you owe some uh, push-ups to Tom Allen. Um, you are correct. I, I, I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Takeaways, excuse in, me. Yeah. Well, uh, my prediction, uh, similar along the lines, I, I think IU is going to run the ball, uh, maybe throw the ball 25, 30 times, ease uh, yeah. Lego into – um, into it, uh, and then you, you know you have ten days off between now and, and Ball State. You know, digest the film, uh, work on things that you struggled at, and, and things like that. Um, the offense for FIU has some playmakers, um, but it, it's it's not a high-powered offense. It's they're they're not gonna you know this team hasn't averaged four hundred yards. Uh, per game ever in their history, uh, and they might do that this year. But you know, it, it it's not an offense that that strikes you know the fear of God into you. It's it's a efficient offense. It, it would be more like a death of of a that from a thousand paper cuts. Um, yep. But I, I just don't think they have the firepower to keep up with IU. Uh, it might be you know close. I, I I'd say it's it's close to the beginning. They're going to be uh, you know on a adrenaline high coming out of the locker room. Uh, the crowd should be, you know, pretty hyped up to face a Big Ten team at home. Uh, it's a team that, that FIU almost beat last year. Uh, but I, I think talent-wise, IU's just that much better, especially at the skill positions. Um, you know, you're, you're going to see the defense flying around. If they, you know, they should come out with the same energy that they have all, all fall camp and practice. And Tom Allen is going to have his guys ready to go. I'm going to go Indiana 38 and FIU 17. TJ, I just don't don't think they have enough firepower to to keep up. Um, you know, it could all change on, on a takeaway or 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 giveaway from from the IU offense. But I, I think that this team has, has played well on the road. Um, they know. They're back for business. It's a it's a senior heavy offensive line, um, and and their running game is should be um, the bread and butter all night on Thursday. 
yeah, I, I think the running game is really what stands out. Um, I, I think if you're choosing a you know, offensive player of the game, I'm going to go uh, with Divine Redding to, to probably get something like 25 carries, um, like 125, 130 yards and a couple touchdowns. Um, I think he's he's a type of runner that can give FIU's defense some problems. They're not a particularly big defense. Their projected front four is not that big. Like I said, it's it's a largely new group from what they had last year. And the, the guys that are slated to start are not of Big Ten size by any means. So I think that's going to be the, the crux of the game plan for Indiana, which makes a ton of sense. And uh, if I were, you know, if I were calling the plays, that's what I'd do too. I'd run, I'd lean on this run game. Number one, it should be a strength for you all year long. And number two, it, it just makes sense with the new quarterback versus a new front four to to go that way. Um, now, one thing to note, FIU also will be breaking in two new starting cornerbacks. So you could say, well, yeah, you, you want to test those guys as well and give Ricky Jones and uh, Mitchell Page and, and Cobb some opportunities to, to get loose too, and, and they will. I mean, they're not going to – not going to limit Lego to the point where they totally neuter what he can do. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense to just lean heavy on the run game, rely on that. That doesn't mean that you go slow. That's not what Indiana's going to be about. Just because you're running the ball doesn't mean you can't be up-tempo. You can run the ball and still be up-tempo, keep the defense off balance, keep them from substituting, uh, just you know, wear that front four out, wear the linebackers out until they just don't want to tackle you anymore. Yeah, and, and with the new corners, they're going to have to make a decision. Uh, Indiana could beat you running or passing the ball. What do you want to stop? It's, it's pick your poison. If they load up the box with, with eight, eight, you know, seven, eight, nine guys, uh, you know, uh, I, Which they I have all the faith in the world. Start. Yeah, you know, here's we, – we know your strength is on the offensive line. We know your strength is in the running game. Let's see what Lego has and, and what he could yep. do. And if they stop the run, it's up to, to Lego to hit a few passes, uh, loosen up that defense, and and then um, and and then to hit you know hit some holes with the running game. And that that's the the beauty of this IU offense is that they could do it both ways. They they could run the ball down your throat, or they could you know pass the ball downfield, make some throws, make some plays happen, get the ball to these playmakers and, and make guys miss and, and, and move the ball. And, and you're right. If they run the ball, they could still be up-tempo. It's not slowing the ball down. It's not being conservative. It's yeah. this is what they're doing. They, they could either run the ball in order to open up the passing game or pass the ball in order to open up the running game. And that's what, to me, separates these two teams is that I use – offense is so much more deep um, than FIU's. And I, I just don't see FIU keeping up points-wise um, with IU. But anyway, keep following us on HoosierHuddle.com. We have excellent um, excellent pregame coverage. Uh, we had our matchup to watch uh, posted around noon today. Uh, coming out tomorrow will be our keys to victory. Uh, we forgot one key to victory, TJ. Which is? Uh, which is score more points than the other team. Uh, well, the only now that key is to victory. innovative. Yes. 
Um, Very innovative. You know, yeah. We break we break out the 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 big uh, the big guns on on the pregame podcast and and we do uh, need to make we forgot that one more prediction. We need to make one more prediction. Okay. That, uh, the all important. What are they going to wear? I mean, that's mm. that's really what this is all about, right? I mean, looking good. Yeah. Well, I know FIU has new white helmets and they're playing on yeah. national TV, but I I don't know I I if. We'll do it with a caveat. If FIU wears the white, IU's going to wear red. Um, that's how it's been. If FIU goes with the blue helmets uh, with the, the the gold lettering, I, I believe IU will go with the two-toned white helmets. Uh, I'm going to go pitchfork IU on, on both sides. Um, or maybe they'll go script Indiana. But it'll, it'll be all yeah. white, white tops, white white pants. Yeah, I'm. I, I think that uh, I think FIU does go with white, and Indiana goes with red. I will guess that Indiana goes. Uh, sure, I'll say, I'll say all red across the board um, with the red. Uh, I will say the red. Well. Yeah, black IU, uh, red helmets. Um, I don't know though. I it really does depend on what FIU wears because obviously if if they go white, you're not going to do that. But if they go with their their navy blue, then it opens up whatever you want. No announcements have been made, but uh, for the uniform geeks out there, uh, Paul Lucas has his annual college football uniform watch uh, mega preview, which is. I don't know, roughly like take you about a half an hour to get through. It's really in depth, but it's fun to fun to look through. I've I've dipped into the ACC and looked at that, but uh, it's kind of an annual annual thing that lets you know the season is really right around the corner. So I'm I'm ready to go. We got great coverage for you, and um, you'll have you'll have the coverage from the scene in Miami. That'll be great, and um, I'll have the game recap up as soon as it ends. And then uh, we'll have analysis coming up after the game that will uh, be as good as or better as you can find anywhere else. So stay with us, and we'll have a post-game pod as well to hopefully recap a 1-0 start. Yeah, we'll, uh, we're heading down to Florida tomorrow. Um, so uh, safe travels to us. Hopefully we avoid the hurricane that's going to maybe hit northern Florida or a tropical storm. But keep coming back to HoosierHuddle.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore Huddle. Um, don't forget to join our Pick'em League. I sent the link at, uh, the the link out on uh, Twitter yesterday, so go back and, and look for it. I'll send it out again. Uh, make sure you get your picks in. Uh, TJ won by default last year, but I, I've got my reminders set this year, so uh, it, it's it's really fun. Uh, you get to pick against us uh, and other Hoosier fans. So, so join, uh, join in. It's on ESPN.com. Uh, the group name is Hoosier Huddle. Um, so join, uh, enjoy, and uh, it's finally here. Uh, we're finally, you know, the game is finally here, and, uh, you know, we couldn't be more excited. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us, and uh, we will talk again Friday, is that when we're doing it, post-game? Yes, Friday. Okay. Uh, All right, cool. Friday. I assume that, uh, well, 
if it's a loss, then that won't be a very fun listen, I can tell you that. But uh, assuming yeah, a victory, well, which you can't assume, we'll see. Either way, no, we'll do the it, show. It, yep, we'll do the show, win or lose. So uh, join us back on Friday. Enjoy the game. Uh, and and hit us up on Twitter. Uh, have a great a great day and safe travels for those going to Florida. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.